National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Advent is more than half past, and the frenzy of the holiday season is in high gear. How do we stay focused on the reason for Christmas? Monsignor Charles Pope brings us St. Paul's five-part plan for mental health this Advent. Then we turn back to the Supreme Court, where oral argument was heard this week on the question, can local governments discriminate based on religion in school choice programs? EWTN News' legal analyst, Andrea Pachati-Bayer, has the story. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. Of course, I'm joined here on Register Radio by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN News' Executive Director, as well as the head of our Washington Bureau. Welcome, Matthew. Blessed Advent to everybody. Yes, and of course, also in Washington is where our guest resides. Monsignor Charles Pope is currently a dean and pastor in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Our our listeners know him. He's been on radio, EWTN radio, you know, uh, for years. Um, but he's also been a registered columnist for years. And recently, he's been writing our Sunday Scriptural Reflections, which we call the User's Guide to Sunday. Welcome back to Register Radio, Monsignor Pope. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks. It's such a busy time. I mean, you're busy as a pastor, uh, mm-hmm. so I was very grateful uh, that you took on this assignment of writing uh, these Advent reflections on the Sunday scriptures. And before I turn to the fact that we're more than half past Advent, uh, I want to reflect uh, for a moment on the first uh, two columns um, on the Sunday scriptures this Advent season. You began a couple weeks ago reminding us that we prepare... Uh, not only for Christmas, uh, but really during Advent, we are supposed to be preparing for Christ's second coming. And I find, uh, for me, that's very far from my mind um, many times. So how can we engage that reality more in our day-to-day? Yeah, you know, um, in, in that first Sunday of Advent, Jesus gave the um, in the Gospel some indicators that we need to well, a lot of things make us unready and make us kind of drowsy. <laughs> and so he he talks about being careful about things like carousing the anxieties of life and drunkenness and, um, uh, you know, just that m- drowsiness that we talk about, you know, where we're just, not, it's not so much sleepiness, but um, being morally asleep, you know, just yeah, kind of sure. going through the motions. So I developed some of those in that first one. You know, the first Sunday, is a, uh, the first couple Sundays especially are devoted to the to that great second coming of the Lord, who shall stand when he appears, you know, who may endure the day of his coming, you know, that's the, and so we got to get ready, but actually it's the Lord who has to get us ready, we have to say yes. Absolutely, and I, you know, I feel that sense often of, um, and so my husband and I have been talking about this, just how sometimes, you know, we we turn inward, we get more selfish um, when we are not disciplined, you know, and I feel like that's so much of what Advent is about is um, is kind of disciplining ourselves again, um, remembering that um, we're not here just for this world. <laughs> we're here for another world. And, and yeah. you did a great job uh, reminding us of that in that first in that first column. In the second column, you had a bunch of tips um, really for that spiritual readiness. What are those tips? Well, I, sometimes I like my alliteration. So I says, be ready, be right, be reverent, be refined, 
And, I uh, loved then it. <laughs> recognizing, yes. But in, in effect, you know, the last one, that all flesh shall see the salvation of God, is kind of the, um, it's, it's, it's the result of the other steps, you know. So uh, just, simply being, just simply being ready, preparing the way. We know how to prepare for a lot of things like April 15th. Uh, tax day. <laughs> we, we know how to get ready, but is, do, do we know how to get ready? You know, we can put the guest room together for a coming guest, but how about some guest room in our, in our soul for the Lord? And so how to, how to do that? And again, um, I think we have to all be careful not to try to do too many things at once, but there's just some small thing that I can either set aside or have less of or... Uh, and, you know, just to make more room uh, for the Lord, to, to prepare a path for Him. And, of course, then we have to not just be ready, but be right to make straight the Lord's paths. We all, you know, if we're not careful, we meander. We're all over the place. We're going here, going there, like chasing butterflies. So we want to get on the straight path and, and kind of go directly as possible to our goal, which is the Lord. And to be reverent, you know, and that basically we got to get rid of all this pride in God's sight, the mountains of pride and also the valleys of despair. And look to some of those things in our life. And then to be refined. Now, I don't have any rough edges to my personality, but I know that other people do. <laughs> me neither. Uh, me neither. <laughs> but, uh, you know, let those rough places be made smooth. Now, if these things are going on in our life, we start to see the salvation of our God, which doesn't wait till the second coming or, or heaven for us. It starts now as God goes to work with his healing power. So salvation is perfected in heaven, of course. But here it's already underway if we're letting him go to work. Yeah, Monsignor, one of the, the frequent laments of uh, Catholics is that uh, we're not exactly living in the golden age of homiletics, mm. and that, that uh, so many priests uh, neglect, not to criticize priests, but to mm. neglect to focus on the scriptures, mm. in particular the gospel in their homilies. And one of the things that is always so useful about what you write for as the register is you focus on scripture, but then you also unpack scripture, especially the, the, the Greek you use, for example, in, in your column, the Greek word for repent, metanoia. But then you really help people, help all of us apply it to our lives. How important yeah. is it to, to grapple with the text like that? Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, I had to learn that after after I came out of seminary. I've been in congregations where they really preached the word, so to speak. Um, they were looking for that. You know, I, I remember somebody left the congregation after many years, and they went to one of these Protestant, um, you know, big mega churches. Where they call them word churches in those days. I said, why would you leave the Blessed Sacrament? He said, well, Father, they teach us the word. I said, oh, my gosh, you know. We've got to get better, you know, just focusing. God's word is already anointed. I don't have to be anointed. It's, all, it's God's word is already anointed. So delve into it, unpack it, you know, look look around every part of it. But above all, look into the laboratory of my own life. How is it true for me already? And I can preach preach out of those experiences. So I, I, I hope I didn't go too far from your question there, uh, Matt. But I, I Matt, no, it's right, exactly I, right. Yeah, but as, as I say, I, I think. Um, you know, focusing on the word is much is, is so important for Catholic preachers. Too often we just we read it, we get a thought, and we preach the thought, and we have to be brief. Um, and I think that's another aspect that we um, that the, the sort of insisted upon brevity 
that um, we have um, you know, in the church today. And I don't know that we have to be quite as brief as we used to be because, mm-hmm. frankly, our masses aren't as packed and atten- well attended as they used to be, I'm sorry to say. But uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, I, don't, I could go on for hours on that topic, Matthew, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll leave it at that. That's really a great question. This is Register Radio on EWTN Radio. This is Jeanette DeMello, and I've been speaking with Monsignor Charles Pope along with Matthew Bunsen, and we're talking about Sunday Scripture Reflections, Monsignor's column, especially the ones on Advent. And of course, this coming Sunday is December 12th. It's already the third Sunday of Advent, and you know, as a parent, I feel like I'm scrambling to prepare for Christmas. I'm attending all the pageantry that happens in my kids' uh, grammar school at this moment. And, and not to mention, as editor of the Register, I'm, I'm preparing the Christmas edition, you know? So I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, Monsignor. Uh, and so when I saw your column for the, your latest This Sunday's Scripture, I was very intrigued because uh, it's titled St. Paul's Five-Point Plan for Mental Health. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm not in mental health right now, you know? Um, so uh, I- explore with us um, what those uh, points of, of mental health are. Yeah, well, it, it, I'm going here on the second reading um, for the Sunday. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. You know, the um, it is Gaudete Sunday, which means joyful, you know, mm-hmm. the Sunday of joy, rejoice. And um, we, um, so it begins, you know, <clears throat> with this idea of rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. You know, um, a lot of us uh, over the uh, years who've maybe been in, involved with prayer have begun to hopefully develop some idea of having a, an ongoing sense of the presence of the Lord. When I was a young man, I could go for days, weeks, months without ever thinking of God. Mm-hmm. And that's not so true for me now. And I'm, I'm grateful, but it's a gift, but it's something to cultivate for all of us so that at, at any moment of the day, we can sort of step back and realize that God is near. And that um, the um, that he's present to me in this moment, and that uh, while everything's swinging around me wildly, I'm going to the Lord's presence is like going to the center hub of the wheel. Everything's wildly spinning on the outside of the wheel, but closer in it's slower, and the hub isn't spinning at all. And Jesus, <laughs> that's where he is, right there at the center. And things are more quiet for a minute. So I can't develop it much more, but I mean, that would be the, the, first, the first thing, you know, to right. rejoice in the presence of the Lord. And then the text goes on to say, you know, re- rely on the power of the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything, the text says, but in everything by prayer and petition, pre- petitions, present your request to God. Um, again, this, this follows from the first point, though. You see, it's not just like, don't worry. You know, I don't, I don't know if you find that helpful when people tell you, don't worry. You right. know? But I have a little story in there like, when I was a young child, my father went away to the Vietnam War. I was probably seven years old, and I was the man of the house. <laughs> I was wow, scared every yeah. day. But when Daddy came home, uh, I could go to sleep again and not be too worried because he was, he was near. And so my, a lot of my anxieties went away, and uh, Dad, Daddy was home. And so if we can stay close to God, you see, a lot of our... This idea of don't be anxious, don't worry, it's not, it's not so much a, a moralism, it's, it's an experience that we have as we, as we stay closer to the presence of God. Now, I don't want to go on too long. There's some other things I, in there as well, but um, 
But this is great. I mean, this is exactly mm-hmm. what I think we need to hear this time of year is just to root ourselves, to be centered, as you said, in that, in that beautiful example mm-hmm. of the spoke th- uh, coming out of the, the center of that, of that wheel. And mm-hmm. Monsignor, I'm so grateful um, for these scriptural reflections and just uh, for your presence with us at the register, kind of leading us uh, into Advent towards uh, Christmas. So thank you very much. I'm happy to do it. Thank you. Our listeners can find Monsignor Pope's work at ncregister.com. Just go to the search bar there and search Monsignor Charles Pope, and you'll find this whole Advent Scripture uh, reflection. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Andrea Picciotti Bayer. We'll be talking about the latest Supreme Court hearing on religious freedom and school choice. Stay tuned for more here on EWTN and Register Radio. There's more when we return. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Lord Jesus Christ, who are called the Prince of Peace, who are yourself our peace and reconciliation, who so often said, Peace to you, grant us peace. Make all men and women witnesses of truth, justice, and brotherly love. Banish from their hearts whatever might endanger peace. Enlighten our rulers, that they may guarantee and defend the great gift of peace. May all the peoples of the earth become as brothers and sisters. May longed-for peace blossom forth and reign always over us all. Amen. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register, as well as its Executive Director. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, my co-host here on Register Radio, and we're happy to be joined by Andrea Pachati bayer who many of you have heard often on this show. She's EWTN News' legal analyst, and she also writes regularly for the Register uh, column focused really on religious liberty, especially because she's the director of the Conscience Project who promotes religious liberty uh, and wants to educate the public on the issues facing religious liberty today. Andrea, you have been working on a topic uh, lately that I I, I love. It's... Um, Religious liberty and education. And that's what we're going to discuss today because there was such an important case this week at the Supreme Court. So thank you for being with us on Register Radio and for covering this very, very important topic. 
Well, Jeanette, it's uh, always great to be with you guys, and I can't agree more with you. This is such a fascinating and such an important issue, especially for families facing these very difficult times with education, the pandemic, and looking for different options for our children. Absolutely. And this current case is really something that uh, really predates, you know, all of that uh, pressure, I think, that the pandemic caused. It, it, um, it relates to religious liberty and school choice programs. And there really have uh, been, I guess, legal skirmishes, right, throughout the states for many years over these kind of programs. Uh, I I'm, I'm speaking of a case, it's called Carson versus Macon. And it was on December 8th that the Supreme Court heard the oral argument. And the case regards the school choice program in the state of Maine. Uh, the fact that religious schools, are, and the fact that religious schools are excluded. Uh, what are the basics of that case that was before the court this, uh, this week? Well, Jeanette, it's it's fascinating case. Um, in <laughs> of course Maine, you would say that because you think all of these really, cases are Because I think they're all fascinating. <laughs> this one is particularly fascinating. Um, and something that a lot of people don't know and is, in, is a little unique to Maine, but I think that the court's re resolution of this conflict will be um, have national significance. But Maine has a number of school districts that do not have a public secondary school. And so the state, uh, which has compulsory education for students, offers students that live in those rural remote areas the chance to take their tuition dollars with them, mm -hmm. um, either to a neighboring public school or to a private school. But there's a catch. The parents and the students cannot select a private school if the school has a sectarian curriculum. And this is an interesting. A non-sectarian school can be a part of the program, but a sectarian one cannot. Now, this is a rule that came out um, not too long ago. I guess, man, maybe the 80s is a long time ago, but it was in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> Seems just a few years ago. Um, and so it, it's unlike uh, previous situations and cases involving the Blaine Amendments, which emerged in the, 18, the late 1800s and were very much directed uh, with anti-Catholic bigotry. This is a basically an anti-religious rule. Mm -hmm. And um, the argument in the Supreme Court really did reflect Maine's, at least the government today, their interest in having either a religious neutral or a non-religious educational experience for students in their state, regardless of the desires of their parents. This was the case that was heard this week, but as you listened uh, to the oral argument, were there any surprises that you heard uh, as both sides put forth their, their case, basically? Well, there, there were a couple of surprises, Jeanette. The first was that the state, the, the lawyer for the state, basically said that the standard for um, education in the state isn't by reference to academic rigor or learning life skills or professional vocational skills, but that that standard, the primary feature of education in Maine, was that it was going to be religion neutral. Hmm. And that that's kind of stuck out to me as what, what? You know, like, is that what we're offering um, our, our children, our school children, especially our public school children, a wow. religion neutral education? Or shouldn't we have 
are sets uh, higher than that. And, you know, Justice Clarence Thomas said, so you're saying it has nothing to do with academics? <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was very, very interesting. The, the other thing that stu stood out was um, commentary by two of the justices kind of in this three-justice liberal block. Uh, the, the liberal block uh, tends to be Justice, Justice Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor. Justice Breyer, I thought, had a very tone-deaf uh, response in his conversations with lawyers for the parents, the lawyer for the parents, basically characterizing the school that they want their children to go to as being a school that, that is hostile to beliefs or to other people, as opposed to being a school that maintains traditional Orthodox Christian views. And that really just was a disconnect between um, the other six justices that seemed to appreciate that religious schools are going to be coherent with their religious identity and their belief system. And then the third was uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who, as we know, is one of the Catholics on the bench who actually benefited from a parochial Catholic parochial school education. And she really was um, promoting a progressive idea of education and, and mocking the idea that you can have education through the lens of faith being imparted to school children. Now, Andrea, uh, in light of the recent wins, and you note that uh, in your piece uh, that have dealt pretty crippling blow to the Blaine Amendments, uh, thinking especially of Trinity Lutheran, uh, versus uh, Comer, the the court seems to be pretty clear in its view on all of this. So, what is the expectation then for this decision? But why do they keep having to deal with this issue? You know, Matthew, that's a very interesting question. Um, some of it has to deal with the fact that these prior decisions, Trinity Lutheran, and most recently a case called Espinosa versus. Montana Department of Taxation dealing with Montana's school choice initiative, the court has come up with majority opinions that maybe didn't go as far or weren't as clear. And those little blind spots, those little holes in the opinions allow for arguments um, to continue to discriminate on the basis of religion. I do think at the end of the day in Carson, it's going to be a um, a decision in favor of the parents, their right to be able to choose the school that fits for their children, um, regardless of the religious nature or identity of the, the school. Um, the big question is going to be whether it's unanimous, as it should be, or we're going to have two to three dissenters. Sure. Sure. And what do you think the implications would be wider? You kind of alluded to that in, in your first answer, um, you know, that, that your hope that this will have wider implications. What do you think that might be? You know, obviously the court is the, the highest court in the land, and they're not just taking cases um, to resolve a conflict in Maine. They have to think about its implications mm -hmm. across the country. There is a lot of movement on the school choice front. And like we mentioned at the top of our conversation, many parents are looking for alternatives, and many state legislators are looking to make that easier so that there can be greater mobility from money that's designated currently to the public schools to be able to follow children and their families to where they think their child will be best served. So I'm hoping that a majority opinion is going to be broad enough to be able to give that kind of cover 
to our state and elected officials to be able to be creative, to respond to the needs of families, and to not continue to exclude or treat religious schools as second-class citizens, for lack of a better term, as we've been doing, you know, unfortunately, since the 1800s. Sure. Andrea, in the last few minutes of our show, I really want to talk about uh, another project you've been working on, uh, Religious Freedom Matters podcast. This is uh, a podcast series that we've been doing at the Register as a joint project with you at the Conscience Project. Uh, The latest topic for Religious Freedom Matters is religious liberty and education. So, of course, it pertains to all that we've been talking about. Uh, First of all, why did you dedicate this series to that topic, education, uh, and and tease out a, a few of your guests? You know, it's, it seems like as we were coming into the school year, to the fall, there were more and more clashes between parents and school boards looking more at the, the nature of the curriculum that was being offered in the public school system, as well as some of our religious schools. And so what we want in this podcast is really to be able to reinforce some basic principles. First, parents are the primary educators of their children. That's something that, that we know as Catholics, and that's something that the Supreme Court is recognized as kind of a foundational principle and protected under the Constitution. Joan Desmond, senior editor at The Register, joins as my co-host, and we have an A-list group of experts and guests on the podcast. We brought in people talking about the legal implications of the Carson case, as well as these trends that we're seeing at the Supreme Court in support of religious freedom in education and in school choice initiatives in particular. We've also brought in some experts to talk about the foundational principles of Catholic teaching when it comes to education. Again, talking and reinforcing the notion of parents as primary educators of their children. And we're also talking about these great lights of hope where parents in particular have been able to make change and effectuate change in their school districts, in their classrooms of their children, and when we see at the higher education level these really wonderful initiatives, whether it's the Thomistic Institute run by the Dominicans or the Institute for Human Ecology at Catholic University, really having the gold standard for what Catholic education should be at the higher and the college and and university level. Yeah, you know, Andrea, you know, when we talked about uh, this uh, uh, series for the podcast and we were sort of developing what it would be, I loved that you didn't want to to stay in the realm of critiquing what was happening right now in terms of these legal battles, right? You really did want to bring it into this building up. What can, what can parents do? What are the resources for us? How, how are we making good on this? And so I, I encourage our listeners to go to ncregister.com. Uh, this series should be available this upcoming week. Um, there'll be six episodes uh, that you can listen to right there at ncregister.com. Of course, it is called Religious Freedom Matters, and it's a podcast with Andrea Pachati Bayer, who we've been talking to, as well as Joan Desmond. And so, Andrea, thank you for doing that. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. That's my pleasure. Thanks for letting me. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette Mello. Until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. 
Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.